Welcome to another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. In this installment, I speak with Sarah Waters, Senior Consultant at Wealth, about affecting long-lasting behaviour change when it comes to patient health management. A step-by-step approach being deemed the most effective, rather than any singular massive overhaul of change, we also discuss the importance of considering context when healthcare addresses why a patient might not be adherent to their treatment. With education being only part of the matter, our conversation journeys through the impact on the medical community and society at large, as well as the mental fallout of receiving diagnosis of a complex chronic condition, in addition to the role of digital health technology in providing support, including in-app care and the mindfulness needed to ensure such innovation doesn't exacerbate pre-existent inequalities or issues of access. All in all, I hope you'll agree it is an insightful and timely discussion and, as ever, thank you for listening. This is web editor Nicole Raleigh, and today I have with me Sarah Waters, Senior Consultant at Wealth, a company devoted to improving the health of people with chronic conditions by embracing, not denying, humanity. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Wealth aims to enable healthcare to create the lasting change that it intends, uncovering and addressing the root cause of care plan non-adherence and leveraging the science of behavioural economics to motivate members. Before we dive deep into these issues, however, I was just wondering if you could tell listeners a bit more about your own journey in this field and into the position you hold at Wealth today. Yes, absolutely. So, I came across behavioral science and behavioral economics um, at the London School of Economics over a decade ago, just as the field was starting to to gain traction. And I quickly paired it with my longstanding interest in in health and healthcare decision making. So over the past decade, I've been working in the field of behavioral economics and behavioral science, particularly in its application to how do we make decisions when it comes to our health? How do we carry out better behaviors and sustain those behaviors over time? I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry as well as in the policy industry over in the UK and other countries. And today, as mentioned, I'm working in the private sector in the United States, focusing on particularly complex, chronically ill patients and establishing healthy behaviors and better, healthier decision making among this group of individuals. Okay, thank you for that. So with this work that you're doing at the moment, with this group of individuals, how much of an issue is this, this non-adherence? How much of a concern is that, really? Yes, I mean, non-adherence is, it's a huge issue. For a long time now, we've been struggling to get people to adhere to their medication in particular, um, virtually across all conditions. Um, it's a It's an issue for the medical community and society more more generally, knowing that non-adherence affects people's quality of life and their journey to better health. There are barriers to adherence that might, if addressed, help assuage some of these challenges. Um, when it comes to my work in the United States in particular, and certainly elsewhere, when we consider things like the social determinants of health, whether or not people have access to the care they need, or they're able to pay for their medications on a repeated basis. Those are certainly barriers. Do they also have the transportation to go pick up their medication? There are a lot of things that can prevent adherence. 
that are not totally observable, but are significant issues. Adherence to medication as well can be affected by individual behavior, whether they have side effects that are preventing them from wanting to take the medication, as well as overprescribing, which is a, an issue that is very, very significant and unfortunate. However, at Wealth in particular, we aim to connect our patients who feel like they don't have a good handle on why am I taking this medication? Do I even need to be taking it? Or are there options available to me? Um, making sure that these patients are connected with pharmacists and have medication reviews in a timely manner, such that we can drive adherence once they are better informed and in a better position to, to start taking those medications on a regular basis. Yes, I mean, talking about that sort of ameliorating role that wealth plays and its motivational factor, I mean, you would assume that pretty much everyone in life values living a healthier life. Maybe not always so, but it's uh, does it fundamentally come down to education at the end of the day, creating a behavioral change, as you say, the habits necessary to adhere to uh, medications, perhaps to treatments, but also uh, to adhere to a lifestyle that perhaps prevents the need for that in the first place? I certainly think that education is a, is a part of it. However, something that I'm relatively bullish on is saying that knowledge is not half the battle. And mm -hmm. I say this because you and I and everyone listening to this knows that there are kind of a constellation of things that we should be doing. We know we need to be doing them. We know why we need to be doing them, yet we don't do them. So education will only get us so far. Um, I think another really important point to make is that by and large, we all have misconceptions around how change happens. So if we want to make a change in our lives, we often want it to happen quickly and we want that change to stick once we make that decision to make the effort. Those are the stories we hear about uh, in the media, among our friends, are these kind of zero to one or overnight change stories. So they're very salient in our minds. But in fact, that's, that's really not how change happens. Change happens through kind of incremental, very small steps that build up over time, which is certainly not something that people necessarily want to hear, but that is by and large how change does happen. So when we think about working with patients at Wealth, they have these kind of enormous care plans often that they need to abide by, which involve kind of getting the right amount of exercise, getting different clinical values under control. And, and by and large, what I like to say is that the care plans, in fact, are the destination. What we need to do and what we do at Wealth is we provide them with a path to get to that destination through these incremental steps. And we're supporting them along the way. So before we, we look at that support along that pathway to the destination, I think on this topic of the different experiences when someone is afflicted by ill health goes very much to Wealth's own CEO, Matthew Loper. Mm. And um, Wealth was designed in response to Loper's aunt and uncle's diagnosis with type 2 diabetes, wasn't it? So while one was able to quickly and easily adjust they took their medicines every day, watched the diet, monitored glucose. However, the other repeatedly fell off, not the wagon, but the care plan, um, no matter how hard they tried. And ultimately, sadly, they passed away. So this real life experience, how much is this a part of uh, Wealth's passionate goal each and every day and what it does? 
Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's it's absolutely foundational to to what we do, knowing that everyone is different and everyone has different lives and different circumstances in which they carry out their their daily behaviors. We also have different reference points for what it means to have a chronic condition and what it means to be healthy. And these need to be taken into account. So there, there is no one size fits all approach. And I mean this not only from a standpoint of kind of a care plan and what needs to be done in order to get to better health or those controlled clinical values, but also thinking about it in particular from a mental point of view. So how do we perceive our, our ability to change and our ability to actually take control of our health? Going back to the reference points, is my reference group as a as a male different from one as a female? And thinking through how that affects how I'm internalizing whether or not I should and can take action on these different behaviors over time. Definitely. I mean, from what you're saying, wealth is passionate about helping individuals and those with chronic diseases in order to have this behavior change, develop this positive, repeatable behavior pattern that does result in improved health and better quality of life. And I was just wondering, could you perhaps go into perhaps a case study in one specific chronic condition where this really has helped to make a difference? Yes, in particular, um, we focus with on a lot of members who have diabetes. And something that I am very keen on is the fact that when someone receives a chronic condition diagnosis, as we were just talking about, it's not just kind of a, a diagnosis of a physical condition, but there is a good deal of mental stress that comes along with the fact that, how did I get to this place in the first place? What do I do now? Am I going to be doing these behaviors forever? So with these diabetes patients, what we do is we certainly work on both the mental and physical side of things, making sure that members feel supported out of the gates. Often these members have been trying to sustain better health for a while now or get improved health. And what we do at the start of their program is we we just aim to get different repetitions on small behaviors so that over time, we can show them, in fact, that you are capable of doing this. And at that point and further on, we will start to do some of the educational pieces that we were alluding to earlier. We don't go with education first because these patients have heard from their clinicians and from their care teams time and time again. These are the things that you need to be doing, and this is why. However, they're still not doing them. So what we do is we we really just gradually build up those behaviors in specifically with our diabetes patients, but across a whole host of cardiometabolic conditions as well, which are our primary focus. And we work with them on establishing different behaviors over time rather than, as we were saying before, to taking that entire care plan and, and trying to tackle it all at once because change happens slowly and change for it to be sustained needs to happen slowly as well. That's a very good point, actually. In order for the long term gain, I've just while you were talking, I was thinking we really would be amiss not to be discussing digital health here, wouldn't we? I mean, it's had a boom, it's had a bit of a dark period, granted, but overall, certainly since the pandemic, the importance of digital health is clear and it's generally accepted that it's now necessary for care delivery. Now, I know that wealth itself uses smartphones, has an app utilization of AI, all these new technologies are a central means of its delivery. So perhaps you could tell me a bit more about the tech side now. 
Yes, absolutely. Digital health has had a, a tremendous boom and certainly catalyzed by the pandemic for, for better and for worse in some ways. Certainly one of the biggest challenges in my mind when it comes to digital health is advancement while leaving kind of a large swath of the population behind. And as we look through digital health publications, and surely what a lot of listeners are, are reading on the day-to-day basis are about these kind of brilliantly sophisticated tools that are coming to market. And they are, and it's fascinating to observe the advancement and the pace of advancement that's happening. But by and large, these more sophisticated tools are only available to a fraction of the population. And most often, that's a, a fraction of the population that does not need them the most. As we think about uh, patients and individuals who are struggling increasingly with chronic conditions and multimorbidity, socioeconomic status and other considerations like that certainly come into account. And there are correlations when you are of a socioeconomic status that is lower on the hierarchy. Not only do you have tend to have worse health, you also tend to have fewer references for better health that surround you on a day-to-day basis, which is a tremendously important factor. Do I have social proof or others around me to role model specific behaviors like eating healthy, like walking to work or taking a walk after, after you're done a meeting? When those behaviors aren't displayed around us, they're not salient, they're not front and center, and we tend just not to do them. They're easily forgettable. So Coming back to the tech that we use at Wealth in particular, um, we strive to use technology that is broadly accessible to everyone with the aim of targeting this very, very large segment of the population that is potentially the sickest and the most in need of this innovation. So we use our entire application is based on smartphone use. It's not based on having kind of connected devices that are transferring information through different EMRs or EHRs or other integrations with different APIs and health systems. We rely uniquely on the the smartphone for the member to be capturing daily habits, uh, which are by and large photo-based. So it's something that virtually everyone with a smartphone knows how to do. However, if they don't at the time of enrolling in with Wealth, we have a, a very efficient, competent uh, support team that is there to help kind of guide the user along the way. And we, to date, haven't had anyone who, due to age or otherwise, has had any kind of extreme complications with the flow of the app. The aim is to keep it very, very simple, which going back to what we were talking about earlier about these small behaviors is intentional. The engagement with the app is very quick and very frictionless, if you will. Yeah, brilliant. I I like that it is so accessible across the range of difference, if you will, population difference. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's quite innovative to Or perhaps it's not. Perhaps we've become so advanced that really we can't see that this is actually quite fundamental, the photo-based behaviour capture sharing. But on that, I mean, if you've got this sort of broadly accessible tech using smartphone, when we think about the future vision of wealth, where you see it being and what it does and the outcome from that 10 to 20 years from now, Mm -hmm. um, what would be your thoughts on that? What would you propose as being on the horizon? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I certainly, I think about a lot of what's coming up in the next couple of years. 
one of the great benefits of having the app on the smartphone is that you have that technology with you at all times, more or less. Um, And when it comes to driving healthy behaviors and behavior change in general, context is everything. So where am I when I'm making a specific decision? Who is around me? What barriers might I be facing in the moment? When you have something with you that can help provide that just-in-time guidance, that is certainly something that that I'm really interested in that making more robust over the next couple of years. How can we support someone not only while they're measuring their blood pressure, but also throughout the day in different capacities, certainly with a light touch and nowhere near kind of encroaching on being something that's always on, but just something to help people support people, especially as they're getting started on their their journey or of chronic disease management how we can just support them in context at the right time with the right information is something that's going to be very, very interesting for me. I think also being able to connect people directly to care through our application is another thing that I am very bullish about. And what I mean by that is not only being able to kind of direct people to resources available to them, but having embedded care within the app such that we're just tearing down barriers that currently exist to connecting to care. For a lot of us, we have busy lives and there are very obvious barriers like not having an appointment that's available at a time that we can access it and other things like that. So that's certainly something that I'm excited about for healthcare in general, but also for wealth to be a part of it is, is removing those barriers through technology. But technology that's certainly available to everyone. Definitely. So wealth is fundamentally bringing back health to those who need it. And after all, health is wealth. Health is wealth. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Sarah. It's been delightful. Likewise. Thank you, Nicole. And so that concludes another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find out more information about this episode, including a download link and information about previous installments of the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcasts. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website itself, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and follow us on Twitter, or X nowadays, at at That's all for now. Thank you for listening.